All right, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Redemption Church. It is good to see you guys this morning. Um, my name is Reggie, and uh, I'm one of the pastors, one of the elders here at Redemption Church. And this morning, um, we're going to continue on in our series through First Peter called Set Apart. So over the last uh, several weeks here at Redemption, we've been going through First Peter, um, sort of first by verse by verse, um, up until chapter 3, where we are now looking at uh, what Peter would have to say to us as believers, as Christians, who are set apart by God for God's purposes, right? So that's, that's what we're about, and that's what this series is about, looking at how God has set his people apart to be sojourners, to be exiles, uh, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, um, but living here uh, wherever God would have us. And so that's what we'll be talking about. Uh, so just as I get going this morning, or before I get started, I guess I should say, let's take a moment, let's pray, um, then we'll read God's Word from 1 Peter chapter 3, and then we'll continue on from there. But let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for the opportunity to be together this morning, God. Thank you for um, your Word. Thank you for Jesus around whose name we can gather in this place this morning. And God, over the next few minutes, as we look at your Word, as we look at what you would have to say to us and what it means to be set apart for your purposes. God, as we look at First Peter, I pray that you would speak to our minds and hearts, that you would draw us close to you uh, simply because Jesus is lifted high. Um, God, as I stand on this stage and, and talk about your word and talk about the gospel and talk about Jesus, I pray that you would move me out of the way, that Jesus would be lifted high, and that we would be drawn to you because of Christ and because of Christ alone. Holy Father, I recognize that my words are of little importance but God, your words are of utmost importance, and so God, I pray that we would hear from you, that you would speak to us, and that we would be changed, even right here where we sit and stand this morning. And God, we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, if you want to go ahead and turn there, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, um, it'll be up here on the screen as well. But this is what God's Word says. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For, this, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days... Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Back when I was in high school, it was my desire to be a star basketball player. And when you look at me, that's what you think, right? That guy was a star basketball player. I know. That was my desire. And so I went to a small private high school. And so I'm not sure what's going on with the sound there, but let's, it might be my beard. Um, I went to a small private high school. How about that? Is that better? Can everybody hear me? We're good? Okay, let me cut this off. All right, so I went to a small private 
high school. And at this small private high school that I went to, we had the opportunity uh, to play all kinds of sports, right? There wasn't uh, a lot of the student body to draw, to draw from. So if you want to play basketball, you could play basketball. If you want to play football, you could play football. And so my senior year of high school, we had this new coach that came to town. He was from Kentucky, and uh, he was like uh, a star basketball coach in Kentucky. And so we were super excited that we were getting this coach. He was coming to town, and uh, finally our basketball team was going to be good, right? And so the first day of practice, um, like 30 or 35 people came out to practice on the very first day. And uh, this coach knew what he was doing. So basically for two hours on the first day of practice, all we did was run wind sprints. Like um, back in high school, we called them suicides. Does, Does everybody know what that is? Where you start and you run to the foul line and you run back and half court and run back and the other foul line and back. Right, so we did this for like, it seems like two hours. I don't know how long it really was. I think Wes was there running as well with me. Um, but we ran so much on that first day of practice that there were literally people crawling off the court begging to be done. Just, I, I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. There were people throwing up in trash cans on the side of the court. And so the next day when practice started, about half the number of people who had come out the first day, came out for practice the second day. They said, we're out. If this is what it takes, I don't, I don't want any more of this. And so from that very first day of practice, this coach began to instill within us this attitude of hard work and sacrifice for the team, right? That's, that's what this coach was all about. You're going to work hard. You're going to sacrifice for this team. And there's no way that this team is going to be the team that I need it to be, that I want it to be, unless you're willing to have this attitude of giving of yourself physically, sacrificing for your teammates to be the team that he wanted us to be. Uh, We actually went on to win the state championship that year, and and I had nothing to do with that. It was because of the other people on the team. Um, But the team turned into something good, But part of what made that team good was this coach instilled within us this attitude of sacrifice and hard work and giving of ourselves for one another, right? And so the thing that I'm trying to draw out here or the point I'm trying to make, what I want you to see is that our coach instilled within us an attitude that was absolutely necessary for us to be the team that he wanted us to be. And I'm not so concerned about what that attitude it was as I am in emphasizing that this shared attitude was unbelievably necessary for us to accomplish what the coach set out for us to accomplish, for us to be the team that the coach wanted us to be. And that's exactly what Peter is doing in 1 Peter chapter 3. We looked at verses 8 through 12, and in verses 8 through 12, Peter is calling believers to a certain kind of attitude, a certain kind of heart change, a certain kind of being that results from a unique identity that's ours because of Christ, right? I I talked about this a little bit last week, but it's vitally important that we understand uh, any passage of Scripture within the context of which the author intended us to understand it. And so 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 12, is the conclusion. That's why he says finally whenever he starts in verse 8. But 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 12, is the conclusion of a thought that begins in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. So let me read those again. In 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, Peter says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passion of the flesh, 
which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So, so Peter starts off where he ends up here in 1 Peter 3, but he starts with the idea of saying, you're sojourners and exiles. You are set apart by God in the place where you live. Because of that, abstain from the passions of the flesh, conduct yourselves in a way that's honorable, so that some may come to glorify Christ and may become believers. And so we transition all the way forward through chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 where Peter addresses citizens, Peter addresses slaves, Peter addresses wives, Peter addresses husbands, and now in 1 Peter 3 verses 8 through 12, he is essentially addressing all Christians that he's writing to. And there's a couple of things we have to grasp from chapter 2. Just very quickly, I want to remind you of them. We've talked about them week after week after week, and so you may be exhausted of hearing this, but it's vitally important that we hear it. It's this. Peter is saying, conduct yourselves, abstain, so that some may come to faith. Peter is saying all of that because of your identity in Christ. Peter is not saying, go, go do something in and of yourself. Peter is saying, conduct yourselves in a certain way because you belong to Christ, because Christ sets you apart. Not, not because our actions make us belong to God, but because we already belong to God, right? And so verses 8 through 12 could take a radically different direction if we don't understand that Peter is saying, because of who you are in Christ, act this way. Number two, we've got to remember that Peter is writing to a group of people who are facing some sort of persecution. In 1 Peter, Peter is writing to a group of people who are either actively facing persecution and some type of suffering, or they're about to. They can see that it's coming. And so in, verses, in verse 9 that I read just a second ago, when Peter says, don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, it's not a hypothetical situation that might occur. It is a situation that is going to occur. These people will experience evil at the hands of others. These people will be, suffer, will be persecuted and suffer at the hands of those around them. That, that is going to happen. Number three, we need to remember that Peter has called these people to be on mission even in the midst of their suffering. Right? If you don't understand anything else about 1 Peter, what we have to understand is that Peter says your identity is in Christ, therefore you're on mission. You're on mission because you have an identity in Christ. The two go together. They're throughout 1 Peter. And so everything in 1 Peter, I think, needs to be understood in light of the fact of who we are as we belong to Christ and the fact that because we belong to Christ, Christ has given us a purpose and a mission. That make sense? So we're going to dive into some specifics about 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. And I'm really only going to spend a good bit of time on verses 8 and 9 um, as we move through it. In verse 8, Peter speaks directly to Christians about being a certain kind of people with one another. In verse 9, he speaks directly to Christians about being a certain kind of people with those who are not Christians, but who might align against them as Christians. And then in verse, verses 10 through 12, he's quoting from Psalm 34, which he quoted from in chapter 2 as well. But he's quoting from Psalm chapter 34 uh, to further bolster his idea about what kind of people God's people should be. A people who pursue obedience, a people who are blessed because of their obedience, a, a, a people who have God on their side as they are acting righteously because they're set apart from his for his purposes, right? So 
in verse 8, like I just said, Peter is calling the people that he's writing to, he's calling these believers to be a certain kind of people, not just do a list of things. He's calling them to be a certain kind of people, to be a kind of people who, based on their identity, are set apart by God for God's purposes. And so let me read verse 8 again. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Peter is essentially calling us to be a kind of people that we cannot be on our own apart from Christ. It is so against the grain of human nature that it's virtually impossible to have these attitudes and to do these things apart from being born again by Christ. Peter says that at the very beginning of 1 Peter in chapter 1, verse 3. He calls us to be a kind of people who feel a certain way and who have a certain kind of attitude. It's unique because this is a command to feel a certain way. This is a command to have an attitude. It's not a command to, to do something here. It's unique. He essentially commands us to develop a very specific attitude toward others. And so all five descriptors that he uses here in verse 8 are descriptions um, of the kind of people we should be in community with one another because our hearts have been changed by Christ and we've been set apart for Christ's purposes. They describe what is on the inside. They describe what a believer's heart should be, what a believer's heart should look like. So there's this thing, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, there's this thing called crab bucket or crab pocket or crab pot mentality. Is anybody familiar with this? So there are certain kind of crabs where if you take a crab and you put them in a five-gallon bucket, they will try to escape. They will do everything in their power to escape. But if you start to add other crabs to that bucket, something different happens. As one crab starts to escape, the other crabs will grab that crab and pull it back down and will not allow him to try to escape. So if you put one in there, they try to escape. If you put multiple, they fight each other so that they can't escape. It's a unique thing. It's called crab bucket mentality. right? Rather than fighting for one another and helping one another to escape, they fight against each other, thus ensuring their joint demise. I saw this a few years ago. I was working at a church right up the road here, and uh, we took a bunch of seniors on a trip to the beach, a bunch of seniors that were graduating from high school to the beach. And these guys would go out at night, and they would look for these big sand crabs. I don't know if you've, anybody ever hunted for sand crabs. Right, okay. Take a flashlight out, and you look for sand crabs, and you can hold them down and pick them up. And so they had this competition to see who could get the biggest sand crab, and they were going to name them Levi, name the crab Levi for Leviathan from the book of Job. Like, that's some church humor there, but... Um, so anyway, they had this competition to see who could get the biggest crab. And so they all came back with these different crabs, and they all threw them in a bucket. And nobody knew what was going to happen when they threw the crabs in the bucket. So we woke up the next morning, and we looked in the bucket, and these crabs had literally torn one another apart. They were just like crab legs and crab limbs just in the bottom of the bucket and a bunch of dead crabs. Um, so I, had, I got a little intrigued and wanted to figure out why that happened. Crab bucket mentality. Crabs in a bucket have an attitude 
that they're going to fight against one another. Crabs in a bucket have an attitude that they are out for one another's demise. What Peter is calling us to in 1 Peter chapter 3 is the exact opposite of that. It's the attitude of jointly lifting one another up. It's the attitude of jointly bearing one another's burdens, of jointly helping one another, being on one another's side, fighting for one another. Too often in the church, what we see are a bunch of crabs fighting one another. What Peter calls us to is to jointly love one another for our mutual benefit. Right, so as we look at the specifics of what Peter calls us to here, let me emphasize when he calls us to have these these attitudes, let me say again, he's calling us to have these attitudes because we belong to Christ. He's calling us to have an attitude and to behave a certain way because we belong to Christ first, right? To be who we are in Christ. Crabs, who they are, they're a group of people that will fight against one another, ensuring their joint demise. God has called us to be a group of people who fight for one another, for one another's benefit, that God might be glorified and that people might come to faith. Right? And let me just emphasize, Peter is not saying do better at these things. He's saying these things are reflective of a person whose heart belongs to Christ. These things reflect Christ inasmuch as Christ has set his people apart has made them to be born again and set them apart for his purposes, right? We cannot attain these qualities, these characteristics, these attitudes on our own. It's because we belong to Christ, because of Christ's righteousness being given to us, right? So the very first thing that Peter says here in chapter 3 is have unity of mind, or chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Peter is telling us have unity of mind. Of mind. Peter is not talking about uh, all of us being robots who all look the same and talk the same and wear the same clothes or cut our hair the same way or look the same or anything along those lines, right? Rather, what Peter is calling us to is essentially having the same overall values, the same goals, the same intentions to glorify God, to enjoy Him, to love our neighbors as ourselves. To be united around the gospel. We are like-minded because we have the mind of Christ by faith in Christ. He's calling us to be like-minded because we're set apart by God for God's purposes. I've said it before, but the cross is the great leveling field. We all come to Christ only by the grace of God. There are no good people and bad people. There are people who have been saved. People who have been changed because of Christ. And we have to understand that. Let's be clear, right, that the goal here is not uniformity. The goal is unity. It's a command to have an attitude of unity. It's a command to be mature enough in your faith to seek unity and to care deeply about others, even when the others disagree with you, even when the others are different than you. It's a command to care deeply and to be unified around the gospel, right? Jesus prayed for this in John chapter 17. If you if you want to know how important it was to Jesus, the unity of believers, look at John 17. It's all throughout that chapter. Paul also talks about it in Romans. Romans chapter 12, Paul says this, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. 
Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. History has proven that we struggle with unity. It existed, disunity existed in the first century. It still exists today. Division is always looking, lurking at the door. But Christ, Peter, calls us to unity. Number two, Peter goes on to say that we are to have an attitude of sympathy. Literally, literally he just says sympathy, but it's an attitude of sympathy, right? And this, I think, is a call to feel with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The, the Greek word for sympathy there literally means to feel with others, to feel with others. I, I was reminded of this over the last week as the Me Too campaign sort of exploded on social media. If you're not familiar with the Me Too campaign, it's where uh, women and some men, but where women across social media were saying, uh, Me Too, I have been harassed. Me Too, I have been abused. Me Too, I have been objectified by other people in my life. And I, I was reminded as, as these folks were we're voicing the ways in which they've been abused and harassed and objectified. I, I was reminded that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should feel that pain. Like it should mean something to us that our brothers and sisters in Christ are actually hurting because our world and, and the sinfulness of our world has hurt them. I, we should feel that pain of what it means to be treated so poorly by our culture and our society when our sisters in Christ are feeling that pain and we should repent for the ways in which we've contributed to a culture that is simply terrible when it comes to that sort of sin. I've been reminded by my African-American and Hispanic brothers and sisters in Christ that when justice and righteousness in our society is foregone, is, is foregone when we don't see justice and righteousness like we should, that we should lament the loss of lives. We should mourn with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should feel that pain that they feel. That's what it means to have sympathy toward a brother and sister in Christ. It's, it's not to simply espouse a political viewpoint on our opinion on why bad things happen, to, but to actually feel the pain and mourn and then respond in such a way that that injustice and that righteousness that that injustice ends and righteousness comes about and justice comes about, right? To, to feel the joy and pain of others is what Peter is calling us to, to feel the joy and pain of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're able to rejoice. We're able to weep because Christ, our high priest, has done the same. He's felt the pain. He's, he's wept. He's rejoiced. He knows what it means to suffer and weakness and death. And he knows what it means to experience joy at the right hand of the Father. Peter is calling us to be a people who feel with our brothers and sisters 
in Christ. Peter goes on. He tells us to have an attitude of brotherly love, right? This is a call to a love that goes beyond mere service. It's familial. It's about loving our brothers and sisters in Christ like they are our family. Like you love your kids, like you love your brother, like you love your sister, like you love your mom and dad. It's a familial love. It's a call to be a loving person that truly cares about others, who puts the needs of others in front of their own because we have the example of Christ who did that. Right, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We can love others because Christ first loved us, because God first did something for us. In the body of Christ, we're not just fellow travelers in this world. We're not just ships passing in the night going in the same direction. We're family. And so Peter says, Peter calls us as believers to look at our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ as family. Now, obviously, the immediate context for that is the local church that he's writing to. And so Peter is telling us, for those of us in this room, love one another like family. But it actually extends beyond the walls of this church for believers to love believers as family. That love should certainly be exemplified within the walls of a local church, but it should not end there. Right? Number four, Peter calls us to have a tender-hearted attitude, to be compassionate, to be willing to forgive, to be willing to not hold grudges, right? To know that we have been forgiven by Christ and therefore we are called to forgive others, to understand the great grace that has been given to us so that we are willing to extend that grace to others. It's interesting here because the Greek that Peter uses, it's kind of funny. He actually says to have good bowels toward your fellow believers. That's what the Greek means, to have good intestines. It's a medical word. Um, we don't talk that way, right? We talk about having a tender heart or a loving heart or whatever. Uh, but Peter literally says here to have good bowels toward your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? It means to, to feel something from the gut out, to feel something deeply. Paul says the same thing in a different place in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Finally, the fifth thing that Peter calls us to here is to have an attitude of humility, right? To not think too highly of ourselves, but to see ourselves as we really are, a sinner saved by grace, no better than anyone else, but only set apart by the work of Christ. When it comes to others, a humble person recognizes that there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, only sons and daughters set apart by the work of Christ. It's a, a humble person has the heart of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul wrote this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of servant, being born in the likeness of men. Right? If we're honest, what Peter is calling us to 
is a life of sacrifice for one another. What Peter is calling us to is an attitude of sacrifice for fellow believers. The life of a person set apart by Christ for God's purpose is a life in which we are called to sacrifice for others. It's a call to be like Christ, to be defined by humility and sacrifice and love and compassion and affection. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and to pick up our cross. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and to pick up a life of love and sacrifice. Most of us, we're not even willing to deny our own opinions, much less our lives for one another. Most of us are not even willing to deny our own opinions. Whereas Christ denies or calls us to deny ourselves and take up the cross and live a life of sacrifice and humility. We're so concerned, maybe not all of us, but some of us are so concerned about maintaining positions of power or prominence or status or of comfort that we're not even willing to give of ourselves for the sake of others. Right, Christians? Brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a whole world out there watching how we treat one another inside the church. It's happening. You, You go talk to somebody who's not a believer, and they're watching. Trust me. And when we, as a church, cannot even lay down our own political ideologies for the sake of unity in the body of Christ across ethnic, racial, and cultural lines, when the world sees a bunch of hypocritical Christians fighting like crabs in a bucket, rather than loving one another like Jesus called us to, then what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, chapter 12, that some may see and glorify God on the day of visitation. Christians, we're not going to get to that. The whole point of what Peter is calling us to do, the whole reason he says to live and act this way, is so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of of visitation. It's a missional directive. And so when Peter says that we are to love one another these ways, when we are to have these attitudes, ultimately it goes back so that some may see Christ and come to know him as Lord and Savior. There's a whole world watching. So they're going to see crabs fighting in a bucket, or they're going to see believers fighting for one another, loving one another in the way that Christ has called us to. Transitioning to verse 9, verse 9, Peter tells us the kind of people we are to be when evil is perpetrated on us. Verse 9 says this, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Right, this verse hit me head on this week. Uh, When I prepare a sermon, when I get ready to preach a sermon, the way that I prepare is that for a week or two, sometimes three or four weeks ahead of time, uh, what I do is I read, I reflect, I take notes, I read, I reflect, I take notes, I pray, I read, I reflect, I take notes, and sort of whatever sermon that I'm preparing for, it kind of just dominates my life. 
And so that any moment of free time I have, I'm reflecting on where am I going to go? What am I going to do? What else do I need to read? What do I need to go back and revisit? What do I need to refine? And so the other day on Wednesday, uh, I was driving home contemplating how I was going to finish this sermon. Um, literally, in my mind, I was contemplating what to do with this sermon. And then I got to a stop sign where I had to turn left across traffic. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking about this sermon, and I'm watching traffic, and I'm being, uh, probably being cautious about pulling out in front of oncoming traffic to turn left. And all of a sudden, the person behind me in the car starts honking their horn at me. And I really didn't like it. I just, I didn't like it. I've joked before that I have essentially two emotions, uh, anger and asleep. Like, um, anger is my baseline, asleep is when I'm happy, I think. Um, so the person starts honking their horn at me, and I really I just didn't like it, right? And so I, I keep watching traffic. Uh, I finally turn out into the middle lane um, and get ready to merge right. And the person that was behind me uh, pulled out directly behind me and went right up on my bumper. And so at this point, I'm like, it's on, right? And so um, I go to merge right, and there's two lanes, right? And I go to merge right into the left lane hand lane and then this person that's behind me merges in behind me and then they go to speed up to go around me in the right hand lane right in the right hand lane like ends like a hundred yards up the road and I'm like no you're not so I hit the gas but I drive a 13 year old 14 year old giant SUV that goes to 60 it takes like an hour to get a 60 right and so the guy drove around me and went on down Columbia Road and uh, I was man I was hot I was steaming and so um, if you know anything about traffic on Columbia Road in the afternoons, it gets, it gets backed up. So as I got closer to my neighborhood and where I'm going to turn in, traffic's backed up, and he had to slow down, and I had to catch up with him. So I'm back there going, ha-ha, I caught you. What good did it do you to speed around me? Um, and then it hit me 30 seconds ago. You were sitting in your car contemplating how to preach a sermon on 1 Peter 3, Verse 9, that says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, right? And, and what that person did was not evil. But what happened in that situation is that the nature of my heart was revealed. I, I think it's normal. It's the nature of a sinful heart to retaliate. It's the, the nature of a sinful heart to retaliate before they bless. And my heart was revealed in that moment. So I had to pull into my neighborhood, literally, I had to pull into my neighborhood and pull over on the side of the road and uh, spend a moment in prayer and just be like, God, I'm stupid. I confess the nature of my heart. Forgive me for, the, for how much of an idiot I just was out there. It was pointless. The nature of the human heart is to retaliate but what Paul, or what Peter calls us to here, is instead of retaliating, blessing. This passage tells us what we're to not do first. It says we should not respond. We should not return evil for evil or insult for insult. But Peter goes on and gives us a positive, right? Instead of a negative of don't do this, a positive of returning a blessing. He's already said that to a certain extent in 1 Peter chapter 2, 
Um, he says, if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Right? Apart from Christ, we're natural-born retaliators. That's, that's what we are. But because Christ has already given his followers a new identity... Peter calls us to respond in light of that new identity rather than in light of our sinful hearts that want to retaliate. And Peter calls us to bless instead. And to be clear, to bless is to want good for the other person that harms you. To bless is to want their benefit rather than their harm. It is literally having an attitude of goodwill toward that person rather than an attitude of ill will. It goes beyond just speaking words of kindness Right? Speaking words of kindness with no goodwill behind them is just hypocrisy. But it goes to the point of actually wanting the other person to benefit. And that's the very thing that Peter himself heard from Jesus. Right? Peter was present, on the sermon on the, was, was present at the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Right? And when you think about it, it's a crazy turn of events for Peter to say to believers, don't retaliate, don't respond with evil. Because if you remember what happened in John chapter 18, when some people show up to arrest Jesus, we read this, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Right? Peter knew what it meant to respond in kind. Peter knew what it meant to repay evil for evil and reviling for reviling. But in 1 Peter, the call of Jesus is a call to be countercultural, to be different, to live in light of our identity. We are called to bless others, and it finds favor with God when we suffer for doing right and endure it patiently. And responding the way that Peter tells us to is the way that change can actually happen in our society and in our culture. When we respond to evil with blessing, when we respond to reviling with blessing, change can actually occur. We've seen it over and over in our society and in our world. If you want to know your calling in life, there are two texts in Peter that, that lay it out for you as a believer. 1 Peter 2, 21 and 3, 9. Both of those call us to endure unjust suffering patiently and to bless those who do evil and revile you. That's our calling. And when we do that, there's a missional directive that we're carrying out so that others might come to faith. Pastor Aaron M. James said this week on uh, social media, in the kingdom of God, we gain by losing, we lead by serving, we live by dying, and glory comes through suffering. That's how the world has changed and people come to glorify God. It's not easy. In fact, I would say it's impossible. Apart from the work of Christ on our behalf, apart from being a part of a community of faith that loves one another like Peter calls us to love one another, both inside these walls and outside them, apart from that, we'll never get to the point where we can do what Peter is calling us to do, save that Christ saves us and sets us apart as is on 
And as believers, we are loving one another and encouraging one another to do the very thing that Christ has called us to do. Now, let's spend a minute and let's just get real with one another uh, before I close us out here in just a few minutes. Let's just get real. I doubt that any of you would look at what First Peter has to say and would listen to what I've said this morning and categorically disagree with me. Most of you, as believers, if you spent any amount of time in church, you would know that believers are to love one another. You would know that believers are to have a tender heart and to be compassionate toward other believers. You would know that we're to be humble and we're to extend that humility. Um, you would know all those things if you're a believer and you've been around the church at all, right? So the issue for us, I believe, as Christians at both Redemption Church and as Christians in uh, modern-day America, the issue is not do we have the right doctrine right now. The issue is not do we theologically understand 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12 correctly because most of us could look at 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12, and realize exactly what Peter has to say, whether you heard a sermon on it or not. It's pretty straightforward what Peter is calling us to. So the issue is not, do we believe it? That is the issue. Let me rephrase that. The issue is not, do we have the right doctrine and the right theology? The issue is whether we believe it enough to act on it. Do we really believe this? Do we really believe the gospel? Do we really believe that Christ gives us an identity that sets us apart to be on mission? Do we really believe that Christ gives us a new identity, a good identity, that should actually lead to action? And that action should be loving one another and suffering so that the gospel goes forth. Right? To those of us uh, inside this room, are, are we loving one another inside this room? Are we loving believers outside this room? Right? And let me just ask you some questions. Are you willing to be unified with someone who holds a different political view than you do? If you look at the news, if you look at Facebook, if you look at Twitter, our world is absolutely, utterly divided across political lines. It, it, I think it boils down to power. Right? But conservatives hate liberals. Liberals hate conservatives. All we, all, not we, so forgive me for saying that. All, all that ends up happening is these people on different sides of the political spectrum end up just fighting with one another and hating one another. But you know what? If we're honest, if Jesus were alive today, he wouldn't identify as a Republican or a Democrat. Right? Jesus is interested in something entirely different than modern American politics. Right? So that's ridiculous. And so as believers, are we willing to sit across the table for somebody who, who, who thinks differently than we do and be unified with them because Christ calls us to be unified with them? The issue should be, the issue should be, do we identify with Christ? And, and, and regardless of what our political affiliation is, there can't be hatred between believers who line up on the Republican side or the Democratic side, right? That's ridiculous. 1 Peter 3 can't happen if we're believing 1 Peter chapter 3. Are you willing to be humble toward those who have been systematically and historically oppressed in our society, right? Most of us in this room, we have been given rights and privileges and benefits that lots of people will never get to have. And so a lot of us have wealth and status and privilege that we gained, not because we're great, 
simply because of where we exist in society? Are so we willing to take that wealth and that privilege and that influence and that power and extend it for the benefit of those who are oppressed and hurting? 1 Peter 3. Are you willing to forgive those who have hurt you? If, if you don't already know, I'm the number one retaliator in chief, right? My, my heart will retaliate in a second. And that extends to my family and friends and to those of you in this room. If somebody were to harm you or to be out with your harm, I mean, to be out for your arm, Ben can attest to this. My wife can attest to this. I'm ready to roll out and handle the situation. But 1 Peter 3 calls us to be compassionate and forgiving for the sake of the gospel. Are you willing to be compassionate toward others? Or are you more interested in telling them why they are wrong and you are right? Why they're in the situation that they're in and you're not in that situation? Or are you just willing to be compassionate toward your fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, those people inside the church as well as those outside? Because that's what 1 Peter 3 calls us to, right? 1 Peter 3 calls us to sacrifice for one another. 1 Peter 3 calls us to sacrifice that the gospel may advance. 1 Peter 3 calls us to be willing to be harmed for the sake of the gospel going forth. Right? If we believe that what Jesus calls us to is good, if we believe that the gospel is good and right, and that when Jesus says, you're going to suffer for my sake, but when you suffer, it's so that the gospel will advance, are, are we okay with that? Do we believe that? When, when the gospel says, sacrifice for your brothers and sisters, for your family, fight for them, because that's the right way to be, uh, do, do we believe that? Because if we're not acting that way, we don't believe it. And so what needs to change in our hearts and in our minds? Do we need to come to Christ? Do we need to repent? Do we need to spend some time in prayer? Do we need to have some brothers and sisters point out to us where our hearts are desperately wicked and broken? Uh, I don't know exactly what the answer is, but I know that the answer begins with Christ and goes from there, right? So we're going to enter into a time of response now like we do every Sunday at Redemption. We enter into a time of response because it gives us an opportunity. It gives us a few minutes to sit back and reflect on what we've heard from God's Word. It gives us a few minutes to respond to the calling of God on our hearts and minds, even as we're in here in this place sitting in these seats. So as we respond, um, the band's going to come back up here in a second. They're going to lead us in some songs, give us the opportunity to worship through singing. During this time, you have the opportunity to sit where you are, to reflect, to pray, to spend some time with God, um, dealing with whatever it is that God would have you deal with. There will be people in the back that you can pray with uh, as well uh, as you deal with those things. This, we also have an opportunity to give. There's a giving basket in the back where you can give your tithes and offerings um, and continue to worship through giving in that way. During this time as well, we're going to take communion. Every Sunday at Redemption, we take communion. The reason we take communion every Sunday is because it's a physical way of doing uh, this. It's a physical way for us to remember what Christ has done for us and to proclaim that we believe it. So as you come down the middle aisle 
and take the bread and dip it in the wine or juice. We're remembering the blood of Christ that was shed for us. We're remembering the body of Christ that was broken for us. And we're proclaiming to one another that we believe it, that the gospel is good and true. So I would invite you, if you're here, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, whether you're a member of this church or not, to come and take communion, to remember what Christ has done uh, for us, and to proclaim to one another that we believe it. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll move on from there. Uh, God, thank you for the reminder from your word this morning uh, that we are called to be like you, that we are called to be sacrificial like Christ. We are called to give of ourselves like Christ for one another, for those, of, uh, for, for those who don't know you yet, but that we would sacrifice ourselves, God, that you would be glorified and that the gospel would go forth. God, I pray that you would lead us to be a people who have that attitude, an attitude of sacrificial giving, an attitude of being willing to lay ourselves on the line for the sake of others. God, that you might be glorified and that people might come to faith in you. God, even now as we continue to worship and respond, may we worship and respond in a way that brings honor and glory to you, that Christ is lifted high and that we are drawn to you because of it. God, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.